Well, speaking of stories, I would love to tell you a story. Jesus told his disciples this story. There was a man, a rich man, who hired a manager to work for him. This manager would oversee his affairs. But as time went on, the manager was found out to be squandering the possessions of his master. So the master sent word to his manager, Hey, what is this I hear? You need to give an account for your work. You cannot be my manager anymore. The manager thought to himself, What am I going to do? My job is done. I'm too... I'm not strong enough to dig ditches and I'm too proud to beg. I know. I know what I will do so that after my job is finished, I will still be welcomed into other people's homes. So the manager called his master's debtors in one by one. To the first debtor, he said, How much do you owe my master? A hundred measures of olive oil. Quick, make your bill. 50. To the second debtor, he says, How much do you owe my master? A hundred measures of wheat. Quick, take your bill and make it 80. And one by one, he cut the bills by a significant portion of the debtors to his master. Well, the master heard this and he said, He actually praised his dishonest manager for being so shrewd. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their kind than the sons of light are. You make friends using worldly wealth, so when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Now, I like to discuss stories, and I involve our groups when we are working together with people. I like to involve people, so I'm going to ask for a little participation from the audience today. Don't worry, but uh, my boys are going to come up, please. We have to understand what's going on in this parable. Go ahead. We have to understand what's going on in this parable and who he's talking to. This parable takes place in Luke 16, but in order to understand Luke 16, you have to understand Luke 15, Luke 15, 16, and part of 17 are one setting. It's one large group of people. And at the beginning of Luke 15, it identifies some of those people. Those people were tax collectors and sinners. So, no offense intended for any of you, but this section will represent the tax collectors of particular group subset of sinners and the rest of you are just sinners in this section and in Luke 15 it says Jesus was sitting and receiving sinners and tax collectors he was talking to them he was conversing with them he was even eating with them oh there's another group there though can you hold this for me please The Pharisees were over on the side and they're looking in on Jesus who is sitting with sinners and tax collectors 
and conversing with them. And the Pharisees over there are muttering, this guy eats with sinners and tax collectors and welcomes them. You can hear the disgust in their voice. They're looking down upon Jesus for hanging out with this kind of people. So Jesus, he turns his attention to the Pharisees and he tells them three stories. He says, if one of you, if you had a hundred sheep and all of a sudden you lose one of them, wouldn't you leave the 99 in safe pasture and run after that one that is lost? And when you have found it, you would put it on your shoulder, bring it back, and you would say to your friends, hey, rejoice with me. My sheep, my lamb that was lost is now found. I tell you, there is rejoicing over one sinner in heaven. In heaven, there is rejoicing over one sinner that repents. Or if a woman, she has ten silver coins, but she loses one of them. Wouldn't she? She'd light a lamp and she'd sweep through her rooms until she finds that coin. And then she'd tell her friends, Hey, rejoice with me. I have found this coin that was lost. I tell you, there's rejoicing before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. A man had two sons. The youngest son said to his father, Dad, I want my inheritance now. The father agreed. And he divided up his inheritance, his property, and gave what would, be, what would belong to the youngest son. He gave it to that son at that time. And the son gathered all of his possessions within a few days and set out for a distant country And he squandered it in wild living. And then there was a famine in the land. He was at the end of everything and he was in need. So he hired himself out to a citizen of that country. He went out to the fields of that man and fed pigs. And yet he was still hungry He was so hungry, in fact, that he desired even to eat the food that he was feeding the pigs. And he came to the realization, my father and his servants have more food than I have. My father's own servants are better off than I am. I have sinned against heaven and against earth, against my father. I will tell him that. And I will ask, Father, I am no longer ready or able to be your Son, let me be your servant. So the son, he gathers what, left, what is left of his possessions and he prepares and sets out for his homeland, for his father's home. And while he is yet a long ways in the distance, his father sees him. His father sees him and has compassion on him. And his father runs and embraces his son. His son tries to tell him, 
Father, I have sinned against heaven and against earth. I am no longer worthy to be your son. Let me be like one of your servants. But the father, he quickly says to one of his own servants, he says, quick, bring a robe for my son and put it on him. Quick, bring sandals for his feet. Quick, bring my ring and put it on his finger. This son that was dead to me is now alive. This son that was lost to me is now found. And you know that calf that we have out back that we've been fattening for a, 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 for a party? for a celebration, let's slaughter it and have that celebration tonight and ask my neighbors and my friends, bring them in. We will celebrate because this son is back. And so they began to celebrate. But they weren't all there yet. The son, the older son, had been working hard in the field all day And he comes back and he sees this celebration going on. He hears music. He sees dancing. And he's like, hey, to one of his servants, what's this all about? Well, your father, well, your son, I'm sorry, your brother has returned. That's the message that comes to him. Your, Your brother has returned and the father, your father has killed the fatted calf so that we could celebrate. The older brother refused to go in. And in fact, the the son, I'm sorry, the father comes out and pleads with this son to come in and the older son says, Dad, I have slaved for you all my life. I have done everything you have asked me to do and not one time have you even given me one little goat to celebrate with my friends. And yet this this younger son of yours has squandered your property with prostitutes and you you kill the, the fatted calf for him. But the father pleads with his son, he says, My son, all that I have is yours. You have always been with me. And yet this, my younger son, your brother, has returned. It is only fitting. It is right to celebrate. Come and and join me in that celebration. And at this point... Jesus turns to another group in the crowd. Can you hold this, please? There's another group in the crowd. He turns to his followers, his disciples, and he tells them a story for themselves. There's a man, a rich man. He has a manager who oversees his affairs And the manager was found out to be squandering the master's possessions. So the master calls him in and says, Give an account for your work. I hear this report. You can no longer be my manager. The manager thinks to himself, What am I going to do? My job is done. I'm I'm too weak to dig ditches, but I'm also too proud to beg. I know what I'll do. 
I know what I can do so that I can gain favor with men, and after my job is done, I will still be received into their homes. So with one debtor, he cuts the bill from 100 measures of oil to 50. With another debtor, he cuts the measure, the bill from 100 measures of wheat to 80. And his own master praised that rascal for being so shrewd. Jesus says, the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the sons of light. You make friends for yourselves using worldly possessions so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal homes. If you are faithful with much, little, you will be faithful with much. If you are dishonest with a little, you will be dishonest with much. If you have been dishonest with worldly wealth, how can you be granted true riches? A servant cannot serve two masters. Either he will love the one and hate the other, or he will despise the one and be devoted to the other. No one can serve both God and money. Well, when the Pharisees heard this, they actually ridiculed Jesus. And Jesus turned to the Pharisees and said, You, you are the ones, you justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. What is exalted with man is detestable with God. Thank you. You guys can put your signs down. I appreciate your help. Thank you. I like to ask some questions. I like to ask questions and discuss stories with the groups we tell stories to. And uh, I'm just going to ask you to think to yourself, while all of this is going on, how are the disciples feeling? We don't know exactly. They don't even say anything in these two chapters. How are they feeling when their leader sits with sinners and tax collectors? How are they feeling when the religious elite of society are grumbling towards Jesus, their leader, their master? How are they feeling when Jesus identifies the heart of the Father is towards the lost? God pursues the lost. God rejoices when the lost turn back to him. How are the followers of Jesus feeling? How are they feeling when he says, you too make friends using what you have for eternal purposes? Can you feel the tension? Can you feel that it's not just an easy one answer of how they are feeling. There's a conflict of feelings going on in their own hearts, I believe, though it's not recorded, but you can imagine how they are feeling. Well, what I'd like to do is just go back for a few minutes uh, through Luke 16, the first 15 verses, and make a few observations So I'm going to read it, or most of it again, and make some observations from the text. 
Luke 16, 1, Jesus told his disciples, let's hold for a moment. My first observation is actually all of Luke 15 tells us God's heart is for the lost. The parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, the parable of the lost son, each of those parables identifying the heart of our heavenly father is towards the lost. He seeks out after the lost. He relentlessly pursues the lost. And when one, just one, turns to him, the praises going on in heaven, the, the celebration going on in heaven is greater than when 99 who don't need repentance, it's, it's greater than his attention towards 99 who do not need repentance. God's heart is for the lost. And we see it with Jesus sitting with sinners and tax collectors and receiving them unto himself. The whole context of this story is God's heart is for the lost. Verse 1, there was a man, a rich man, whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be my manager any longer. And the manager goes on to come to the conclusion he's got limited time He's got limited access to his master's possessions. He's been squandering them already. His chance of taking advantage of them is short-lived. He comes up with a plan so that he can leverage on his master's possessions and still gain favors one more time with people who hopefully would return those favors to him. So a parable... This parable, a parable is a story with a parallel meaning. We see life's brevity in this passage. Life is short. The manager, his time at his job is coming to an end. His access to the resources he's been managing is coming to an end. And he, he puts it into high gear to figure out what he can do during these last moments in his job. The parallel meaning for us is to remind ourselves that life is short. I don't mean to be morbid, but we only have limited time. We only have limited stewardship. And Jesus is helping his followers to realize that. So the whole picture is there. The manager calls his master's debtors in. They quickly... Uh, amend their bills and they move on and that manager even praises his, I'm sorry, the master praises his manager for being so shrewd. Jesus says the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. So it's showing the brevity of life. It's brief for us. Verse 9, I tell you, Jesus says to his disciples, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourself so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. So Jesus is in a short snapshot outlining the disciples' mission to make friends. Now, I really, I really believe that Jesus is saying make disciples in this passage I see that because Jesus is hanging out with lost. He is modeling it to his disciples. And Jesus has already told his disciples he would make them fishers of men. 
And later on, he will tell the disciples to go and make other disciples. So I believe that this passage is telling us, disciples, you go and make other disciples. That's their mission. I think that sometimes disciple-making, though, is daunting for us. We, we feel like it's overwhelming or it's intangible. And we need to realize that Jesus uses make friends for probably a purpose. Just as he is sitting and talking with the lowest of the society, of the, sin, the sinners of society, he is inviting them to make friends, spend time, talk, get to know their interests, Open up your home. Eat with them. It's not a complete strategy, but it is saying you go make friends with sinners. And I'm sure that the disciples understood what Jesus was referring to. I am sure that they understand, hey, it's not about you go make friends with yourselves because you're going to spend a lot of time in eternity, so you better get to know each other and better like each other. That's not what it's about. Now, there are many passages that talk about edifying the body, and that's very important for us to build up one another. But it is clear in this passage, Jesus is calling his disciples to make friends with the lost of the world. And as I was meditating on this, I realized how inconvenient it is at times, how uncomfortable it is at times, how even costly it is at times to hang out with the unreached of the world. I have a confession to make. Um, Glenn and Julie, thank you for organizing the event last Tuesday. I appreciate for all your effort, and I know the Krekelbergs were also involved with that. Julie called my wife over a week ago, Pass on the message. They're looking for helpers with this community outreach into one of our neighborhoods. The message comes from Deb to me. And the first thought that goes through my mind is, I'm too busy. Oh, you know that phrase too, huh? (laughs) At times, we feel it's just too inconvenient. It's just too uncomfortable. It's just too costly And that's what Jesus is going for. He's going for the heart of the matter. Yes, it is costly. And yet join me, he says, join me in making disciples, in reaching the lost for his name. Let's move on a little bit. John, I'm sorry, we're in Luke. Luke 16, verse 10. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with something, with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? I'll stop right there. In light of that previous verse, being welcomed where disciples who have made friends and are welcomed into eternal dwellings, in light of that, Jesus is saying, be trustworthy with the riches that you don't get to hold on to, and then you will gain true riches. Be trustworthy with the property you have now, which you cannot take with you, because 
Someday you will be then given true property. Now Jesus doesn't elaborate on what true riches are in detail, but I believe in part, I believe in part by this passage, he is telling us eternal riches are in part defined by the relationships that we will have in heaven. So just like in this parallel, the manager, he has access to his master's resources. We have access to resources. We can leverage on them and use them for disciple-making purposes to gain treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves cannot break in and steal. He is identifying to a degree, not fully, but to a degree, eternal riches are measured in part by relationships. When I tackled this passage, I thought at first, I thought it was about money. And there's a, certainly a theme about money in this passage. And I realized, however, after time, Jesus is not talking about money so much as our own hearts. He says, you cannot love both God and money. So it spurs us on to be aligned with the values as, as followers ourselves of Jesus, to have our values in line with God's values and to use our resources in a way that would follow those values, that would enhance or meet those needs. So I'd just like to give a few thoughts of application. I was really, I'm really encouraged to have the Robertsons here. A few weeks ago we had Elise Westman here. We've had many, actually, um, of our missionaries over the last weeks. As they go out, as they cross borders and cross cultures with the gospel, let's align ourselves in unity in Christ and in solidarity for the name of Christ and for the sake of the gospel to bring the gospel to our neighborhoods, across our streets, across our neighborhoods, or across our communities. Let us also go and make friends with eternal purposes. You might come to the conclusion at the end of this passage, you know, I I really don't know how to share my faith. That's fine. I'd encourage you to let us know that. You might even on our connection card, you might indicate, I'd like to learn how to share my faith. That's great. We would love to come alongside of you. I would love to help you and be a part of helping you to share your faith. You might say, as a result of this uh, message this morning, hey, I would like to be discipled further. I really marvel at the timing of today with what happened yesterday. There were men that were gathered for a training time, men who are involved in community groups and discipleship groups that want to actively go go the next step in enhancing our own disciple-making ministries here at Elam Mission Church. So if you would like to be further involved in discipling others or being a disciple yourself, you might indicate that on on the connection card and just let us know, and we'd like to follow up with you. There also might be some of you here who don't know fully the love of our Father. 
I love the passage of the prodigal son. I love sharing that story. We have a, a heavenly father who loves us. And when we turn back to him, his embrace is immediate. His compassion is real. His love is there. And so we'd also love to share that, that hope with you if you do not know the love of our eternal and heavenly Father. Let me close in a word of prayer, please. <clears throat> Dear Jesus, we surrender to you. Help us to be with all of our lives, with our possessions, with our activities, with how we spend our time. Help us to align our values and our priorities with your values and priorities. Thank you for your love. Thank you that you did not hold back from going to the cross for each one of us. And as a result, we love you. We want to follow you. Help us to be empowered to be your disciples who make disciples of others. Help us to be followers of you passionately. And may it be just natural for us out of, out of love for you as we make friends with the lost of the world that we would share our most prized possession, that of knowing you. Lord, empower us. You say, go. Help us to go. Give us strength. Even when we are afraid, when it's uncomfortable, empower us. Empower us, Lord Jesus. Thank you that you tell us that your presence is with us even to the end of the age. We praise you for that. Amen.